How do I know what I think until I see what I say? The Green Notebook, carried by military leaders around the world. Within those pages are sweat, tears, triumphs, and the hard-won lessons of life. Lessons worth sharing. Each week, the team dives into the notebooks of military leaders, business professionals, authors, athletes and coaches, and entertainers to share lessons and help you lead with the best version of yourself. Hey, it's Joe here, and every morning before I crack open a book or sit down to do some writing, the first thing I do is brew an amazing cup of Alpha Coffee. They make premium 100% Arabica coffee, and Alpha has some of my favorite blends. They have Dawn Patrol, which is a nice medium light breakfast blend. I also enjoy Charlie Don't Surf, which is a medium Kona blend. And I even get to take Alpha Coffee to work with me because they also make K-Cups. Not only do they have great coffee... They're a great veteran-owned business who has shipped over 20,000 bags of coffee to deploy troops. They also offer a 10% discount to members of the military and first responders. And Alpha Coffee has been an awesome company to partner with at From the Green Notebook. So taste the Alpha difference and purchase their coffee today at www.alpha.coffee or via Amazon Prime. Welcome to another episode of From the Green Notebook. I'm your host, Joe Byerly. And this week, we're diving into the green notebook of Command Sergeant Major Joanne Nauman. Command Sergeant Major Nauman is currently the Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Commander of Special Operations Command Korea. In this episode, she shares her story of asking for professional help when she realized as her Master Sergeant that something wasn't right within herself. She discusses the habits and practices she adopted to battle stress and anxiety, and how all of it has made her a much better leader. This is one of the first times on the show a senior military leader has opened up about a topic that so many of us struggle with. So grab your notebooks and please welcome to the show, Command Sergeant Major Joanne Nauman. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Thank you for making time to talk today. So before we get into the interview, can you talk about your career, give listeners a, a, a brief background on, on where you're coming from? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I always tell people I'm 26 years into a four-year enlistment. I came into the Army out of college intentionally to learn Arabic. In 1996, so pre-9-11, wanted to learn Arabic and then wanted to um, apply to the Foreign Service. And honestly, I, you know, I was three months from getting out of the Army, was already studying for the Foreign Service exam, and the retention NCO asked, what would it take to get me to stay in the Army? And so I threw out something I thought I would never get. I tell people like I played chicken with the retention NCO. Um, and I told them that I wanted to go study at a university in Jordan as my stabilization option, figuring they would never do this. And the battalion commander came back and said, okay. Yeah. I've never heard of that either. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I had never heard of it. Right. I just figured like they asked what I wanted to stay in. And so, you know, why not? throw out the wish list and, um, and I got it. So I re-enlisted for four years. And then of course, during my second enlistment, 9-11 did happen. And so um, I stayed in. So, so just before 9-11, uh, I was recruited by a special mission unit and put my packet in, uh, wound up getting picked up 
that fall, so right after 9-11, went through assessment and selection on the operative training course and stayed in the same unit basically from 2002 to 2015. I did leave for about two years in the middle there to go to TRADOC, actually, to write an Iraqi dialect course for the Army in 2006. And then in 2008, returned to the same unit, stayed there until 2015, uh, when I left to be the JSOC J2 Sergeant Major. From there, I took a battalion CSM position at Fort Hood at the 15th Aerial Exploitation Battalion. Then went back to JSOC to be the JSOC Intel Brigade CSM, and I have been out here in Korea since June of 2021, last year, as the Command Senior Enlisted Leader for Special Operations Command Korea. Wow, that is such a fascinating career. So many questions. So it sounds like you've stayed busy the entire time, like you you never, uh, you never really slowed down. Was there ever a moment in there where you were like, this is getting to be too much? Because again, 26 years, but you're doing 26 years during our 20-year war. So I, I just, I, I can't imagine the, the stress and everything else that that put on you. Yeah, I think there are constantly those moments. I Honestly, like I plan to stay in for several more years. I'd like to make it to 30, but there are days that I'm like, oh my God, it's been enough. It's time to retire. Then I wake up the next day and I'm good. But I definitely, um, you know, being an Arabic linguist after 9-11, being in a special mission unit, um, I was deployed pretty much nonstop, which is part of why I took the trade-off job to go for two years. And it was busy, but a different kind of busy. I slept in my own bed every night. I was at home every weekend. And you can only keep students eight hours a day. It's the good news, right? So even though you have administrative requirements that require that you stay a little bit longer than that, um, it was pretty regular hours. So that was a nice break from 2006 to 2008. But, you know, I, I definitely, um, when I went back then to the special mission unit and started deploying again uh, in 2008, it actually was busier, I think, then than we had been like in the early 2000s. Um, and I, I was doing probably about four months at a time gone and two months home for about three straight years. Um, and, and I hit some pretty significant burnout at that point. I want to unpack that a little bit too, because we hear burnout a lot, but like very rarely do we talk to people who've actually experienced it. What were some of the, the things that you experienced that people may be like, yeah, I, I felt that too? For me, it, it took a very physical form and, and it was actually um, Christmas of 2011. And I, I had deployed the, the previous three years, I had missed three Thanksgivings in a row and two Christmases. And so the unit was doing the right thing and trying very, very hard to get me home for Christmas. And they did. Um, but I got home on the 20th of December, you know, and again, this is after three years of nonstop deployments. You get home on the 20th of December and everyone expects like, hey, you're home for Christmas. You're going to be in a great mood, right? Let's do all this celebrating and stuff. And, and all you're thinking is like, I just want to sleep. Right. You know, and everyone's got all these things planned. My husband and I were also planning our wedding at the time. We got married in July of 2012. So doing all the wedding planning as well. And um, I went to bed on Christmas Eve and I couldn't fall asleep. And, you know, I, you just think like, oh, it's one of these things, right? I've got too much on my mind. I've got jet lag still, except that it wasn't. It didn't go away. And for about the next 
six months to a year, I struggled really bad with insomnia. You know, it just, um, I mean, almost awake for three to four days at a time, right? Maybe getting that, catching a half hour nap or something, um, but just really could not sleep. Uh, the stress had just built up so much that my body couldn't deal with it anymore. And it kind of shut down. What rank were you at the time? I was an E8, a master sergeant at the time. Yeah, so definitely, you definitely have some responsibilities, you know, professional responsibilities. So your body's shutting down. Did you seek help right away or did you just kind of let it go? Um, I didn't because, you know, because I had this impression in my mind, one, that I somehow thought I was holding it all together, which, you know, you realize once you start sleeping again, that when you're not sleeping, you're too stupid to realize how stupid you are. You know, you're just not functioning well. But but in my own mind, I was still holding it all together. But I also had this image that, you know, as someone in special operations, you know, and I've got all this training and I'm supposed to be so strong and so good at what I do, you know, and, and I want to have a successful career that I can't fall apart, right? That I can't let people know that I'm falling apart. And so I didn't get help. You know, it was really about six months in that I finally started to get some help. Did somebody say like, hey, Joanne, like you need to do this? Or was it just something on your own? You're like, you're fi- you were finally realizing that, that you needed something more. I think it was a combination of things. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, we were planning our wedding at Christmas when this all started. And in July, we got married. And, um, you know, you can only imagine what kind of fantastic mood you're in when you're not sleeping. And so, right, not great for a brand new marriage, you know, and and I I just started to realize that, like, this was my life that lack of sleep and stress was ruining, right? Like burnout wasn't just ruining my career. It was ruining my life. And I actually made the decision in my head, right? And and this is, you know, we're now into 2012. So I'm, I'm at 16 years in the army. I kind of made this decision that I'm going to make it to 20 years. I'm going to limp along to 20 years. I'm going to get some help. I'll retire as a master sergeant. That's a successful career. And I'll, I'll take some easier jobs, right? Like I'll back off a little bit, but I'm just going to limp through to 20. I'm going to get myself fixed. And, and I thought I was ending my career by getting help. And clearly it's, it's 2022 and you didn't, I, I love that you're sharing this and I've, I've experienced some of the, some of the same things, like as you're talking, the stuff that I was dealing with was, was a lot different. Like I could feel my level of energy just be completely depleted. Like I was drinking more. I was, the stress was waking me up in the middle of the night, uh, every single, every single night, just feeling lost. And then, you know, finally talking to somebody, a a health professional, helped me start like opening things up that I didn't realize I needed to open to start figuring out why I felt that way. I think a lot of us, you know, successful leaders, it's certainly in the military, and I wouldn't doubt it's in other career fields as well, right? We do put a lot on ourselves, right? That I have to be successful all the time, that I have to do all of the things right, that I can manage this. I think that, you know, we do put that on us. And and that's why I talk about this, because I think, you know, even just talking to one of, you know, one of the tech sergeants, you know, in a joint, you know, I've got Air Force as well, the other day, who was saying that, you know, he had this impression that, you know, he had to take all the right jobs and do all the right things to have a successful career, you know? And so I think it's important as leaders that we talk about the fact that we didn't have perfect careers, right? That, 
if every leader had a perfect career, there'd be no one in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a, a great point. And I interviewed James Kerr uh, about a year, year and a half ago. It's all running together now. And I remember him saying that if your car started making weird noises, you wouldn't just be like, well, I'm going to have this thing like limp along for the next you know, couple months or a couple years. I'm going to go get it looked at and figure out what's going on. But like when the same thing happens to us, I would say the majority of us do exactly what you're talking about. Just kind of limp along and hope for the best for things to finish out. Yeah. So, I mean, I finally did, you know, I made that decision to go get help and and it was some medical stuff, right? I, I had a couple of stellate ganglion blocks, you know, went through cognitive behavioral therapy for the sleep, which is not an enjoyable experience, but it paid off and it fixed my sleep. But I also then, you know, I made this decision that I don't, I need to not get back to this point, right? Like we can address these things, we can fix them now. But if I do the same things that got me here, I'm going to wind up here again. And so I started just doing a lot of my own research, reading books on sleep and reading books on mindfulness and reading books on gratitude and, you know, searching the internet. And and so I started a lot of self-experimentation you know, with just trying different things. And and I set myself a rule that any new thing I tried, I had to try for 30 days, Oh wow! you know, because I, I figured, well, because I, I kind of feel like you can hate something, right? Like for the first five days, it can be miserable because it's not something that you're used to doing. It's taking time and, and you might wind up hating it at the end of 30 days too. Right. But I felt like I needed to give things 30 days to get a real idea of whether or not they worked. So as you're experimenting, what did you end up like as everything kind of shook out in the wash? What did you end up with kind of the final result of this? How did your daily habits change as you started doing the research and and putting in the work? For me, the one thing that has been absolutely life-changing is meditation. And it surprised me. I thought that would be a tough one for me, just sitting silently but I meditate every single morning. I'm a morning person by nature. So I'm up at about 4.30 on the weekdays, closer to six on the weekends, but still a morning person. But meditation is the first thing I do in the morning. And I I sit for anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes, uh, just depending on how much time I have in the morning. And it has done so many things for me. One, I start every day knowing exactly where my head is, right? Meditation is not perfect every day. It's not, you know, I have this, amazing focus. But on days that I don't have amazing focus, I know that at the start of the day, my head's all over the place. I go into the day knowing my head's all over the place today. And I can deal with the day in a way that I know is going to work for me. Can I ask a question? Because uh, my brain is kind of like New York City traffic at rush hour. Like people are honking, people are yelling at each other. Like there's a lot of stuff going on. And so I, I have tried what you're talking about. And I can't seem to just like quiet, you know, and maybe it's because I haven't done it for quiet my mind. Maybe because it's, I haven't tried to do it for 30 days. How do you do that? So I started with guided meditation. I mean, I use an app um, and I, I started entirely with guided meditation and trying different techniques. A couple that work really well for me, um, body scans work really well for me because it, it's, there's a physical manifestation to kind of focus on. Um, so that's kind of what I gravitated to early on. Now I do just silent meditation. Uh, I usually play thunderstorms in the background, actually. So not entirely silent. 
you know, but it's just focusing on my breath. And, and when you find your mind go somewhere, you accept it. I actually, um, probably about six or seven months into my meditation practice, I realized that when I was having crazy thoughts that I would envision myself in a long hallway lined with bookshelves and every thought I would have, I would classify that thought and put it on a shelf, right? So planning, and it goes on the planning shelf or, you know, remembering or worrying, right? And and just classifying those thoughts and, and putting them somewhere. And that kind of organizes my brain. And, and like I said, most days that works. It doesn't always. Sometimes I'm, you know, New York City traffic. Um, but at least I know that at the beginning of the day. So then how did that start changing everything else kind of post- post 2012 until now? So the the biggest thing it changed for me, I use the metaphor of traffic, having lived for more than 10 years in the DC area, you know, traffic is something that I know very well. I use the metaphor of traffic, right? Because when you're stuck in traffic, you're stuck in traffic. And if you get angry about it, you don't get where you're going any earlier, you just get there angry. And so it's that ability to accept what's going on around you and and control your own reaction to it, not overreact to it, right? That ability to say like, this is going on around me. I'm stressed out about this and I'm just going to take a deep breath and I'm going to take one step at a time and deal with it. For me, um, about the same time all my stuff was going on is when I really started getting into stoicism and, and reading the stoics, Epictetus, Seneca, you know, meditations, Marcus Aurelius. And, and that, was, that was one of the big things that Epictetus taught was control the controllables, which is you can't control the external world outside of us. We can only control our reaction to that, which is a lot easier said than done. But just having that model to start interacting with the world with was kind of a game changer for me. I mean, I think about it this way, right? Even if you manage to do it successfully 50% of the time, you've reduced 50% of your strength. Like that's a game changer. Yeah, that's a great way. I've never thought about that. That's a great way of looking at it. So I think, you know, I mean, that that was really the big thing for me. But, you know, then the other thing that I, I kind of took away from that as I started, you know, really improving and also, you know, started paying more attention to what I eat and drink, right? Because like you mentioned, right, when, you, when you're stressed out, we all tend to drink a little bit more, probably yeah, not yeah, eat the yeah. best food, right? You know, and all these things are not great for our bodies. Um, and I will not tell you that I live a perfect life right now. I don't. Right. <laughs> I'm busy. Sometimes you eat on the fly and, you know, sometimes I enjoy a cocktail or a glass of wine, but I did start paying a lot more attention to that kind of stuff. And I realized that you can't give from an empty well. And so if you're not taking care of yourself, then you're not as effective as a leader. Right. And so all of those things, getting your PT, getting sleep, sleep is number priority. Number one for me, like that's a non-negotiable. I've got to get sleep. I've got to get PT. I've got to eat right. Drink water. Right. All these things that people tell you to do. And I've got to get that meditation because giving myself those things allows me to give other people my time and energy and attention. And they would be getting a substandard product if I wasn't taking care of myself. I love that. It's almost like before 2012, you were very deliberate with your career, kind of putting yourself as a second, you know, a second class citizen to you. And then after this period, you started getting deliberate about 
your time, your energy, what you're eating, your daily practices. And then all of a sudden, like everything else kind of seems like it started falling into place. It definitely did, right? I became more effective at my job. And I would tell you, honestly, I probably work fewer hours even now in this job, which is incredibly insane. And yes, some days they're, you know, nonstop from six in the morning until, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And a lot of travel across the international dateline, which is a whole nother way to mess up your body. But in general, I work from eight to five 30. That sounds amazing. <laughs> because I work effectively from eight to five 30. Now that doesn't include my PT, right? Like I PT before that in the morning, but I'm effective during those hours, right? You're getting quality work out of me. And then because I go home and take care of myself, you get quality work out of me again tomorrow. I love that. And I used to, uh, it used to always bug me, you know, leaders that would work well into the evening all the time, especially because I'm a morning person. I'm not, I'm not an evening person. And so usually after like 1500, 1600, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, my level of productivity starts dipping greatly. And so now that I'm in charge, I do my best to leave, you know, leave every day between five, five thirty, sometimes as late as six, but you know, just trying to like not kill myself to that point of I'm not going to show up the best version of myself the next day if I'm constantly running myself into the ground. Yeah. I mean, and as a leader, you're also setting that example, right? Because the leaders who are there from six in the morning until eight at night, every single day, everyone below them thinks they need to do the same thing. Yeah. The other thing, and I'm curious too, and maybe this is me sharing too much, but I almost feel like taking that approach, leaving at a decent time and, and walking away. I mean, one, just before I get to this part, it requires you to prioritize because, you know, now you're paying attention to how you're spending your day because it's not, your hours aren't an endless supply of 14, 15 hours, but it takes courage actually to do the thing that's like completely counterintuitive to our culture sometimes, which is, you know, work ridiculous amount of hours. And, and what you're doing is saying, no, like this, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm walking away at this time of day. I, I imagine that that takes courage for, for you as well, uh, or did early on to kind of ha- take that approach. Now it's, you're clearly fine with it. Yeah, it, it definitely did. You know, it, it was again, right. I think part of it for me was accepting the fact that like, if this was the end of my career, at least it would give me a healthy life right? And something to look forward to in the future. And, and I think that that mindset is kind of what allowed me to do it. And then I realized through doing that and taking care of myself that I was more productive and the quality of my work was better. And yes, you do have to make decisions about what you prioritize. But as much as I have wished every single night that my emails would magically disappear before I came back in the morning, they never once have. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're always there waiting for you tomorrow. It's such a great outlook. Are you challenging yourself with your current workout program? Are you really challenging yourself? If the answer is no, kind of, or maybe, let me introduce you to our newest partners and the program I've started using to kick my butt, improve my endurance, and increase my mental toughness. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab provides guided training and on-demand workouts from your phone, tablet, TV, or computer. No matter your level of fitness, they have workouts for you. Their programs are used by elite groups such as Special Operations Forces, Wildland Firefighters, Backcountry Hunters, and more. 
And they were offering 40% off their annual subscription for FTGN listeners when you use the code FTGN40Alpha at checkout. That's FTGN40A at checkout. So go to www.mtntough.com and let the team at Mountain Tough Fitness Lab help you physically and mentally so you can start leading with the best version of yourself. I'd like to shift a little bit to your roles as a, as a senior enlisted advisor. I love talking to folks who are in this position because each, each is different because it's based off the relationship between you and the officer in charge. So what has this position taught you or, or, or what have you learned about leadership through doing it? The command senior enlisted is paired, selected by the general officer who's the commander of the unit. Um, and I look at it as, you know, I, I really have three roles. Um, my first role is to advise that commander. So, you know, on, on everything that we're doing as a command to make sure that that general officer has my perspective, um, you know, to be the person to say, wow, that, that's not a good idea if I don't think it's a good idea, you know, and, and lay out the perspective that, that that general officer might not be seeing. My second role, though, is to execute the commander's vision. Um, and so, you know, I give my perspective, but at the end of the day, the commander makes a decision and I get behind that decision 110% and I make sure that it gets executed by the command. And, and I do have the opportunity to interact with members of the command and sometimes in ways that the commander can uh, to help influence, you know, getting that done. And then my third is taking care of people, you know, so I, I always see that as from the time you're, you know, a squad leader. Um, as an NCO, that's your job is taking care of people, making sure that they have what they need to do their job, make sure that they have what they need to take care of themselves and their families, and making sure that we're developing them into future leaders, both on the NCO side and on the officer side. So your relationship with, with General Martin, not to like dive into, you know, s- some of the specifics of that, but like for folks listening who are in that role of officer and NCO paired together to lead, which is, I think, every organization in the United States military. What advice would you give to, to keeping that relationship strong and, uh, and keeping those lines of communication open? I think it's a little bit different at the general officer level than at lower levels, right? Because general officers get to pick their senior enlisted. You know, so, so you do, I mean, you pick someone who you get along with, right? And, and you have that. But you know, I think it's important to have that conversational relationship both at work and out, outside of work. So, you know, despite our crazy schedules, General Martin and I sit down in his office several days a week and have lunch together, right? We bring our lunches in, you know, sit down and all topics are on the table, right? I mean, like we could be talking about his dog one day, um, you know, and then the next day we're talking about whatever training we've got planned for the next week or a trip that we're doing back to DC to meet with policymakers, all topics are on the table. And so it just gives us an opportunity to just talk and have that open dialogue and say whatever's on our minds. And I think you've got to do that because, because you do have to be the person, you know, I, I do feel like it's my job to be the person to walk into his office and tell him something that he's not going to want to hear. You know, and and a lot of other people aren't going to want to do that, especially when you're a general officer, right? Like no one wants to walk in and and tell the commanding generals bad news, you know. And so I have to be the person who's 
who's willing and able to do that. And that's easier to do when you are having conversations and when you already have that relationship. These are, uh, these are some great points. And, you know, I, I see it at my level now, like it's, uh, it's really hard to find people who are going to tell you, tell you the bad news. So, so having that person right there, who's not afraid to do that and not afraid to call me on my own stuff when I'm not doing the right thing or when, uh, when I need somebody to pull me aside and tell me to cool down for a little bit. Like that's so important. I mean, I would just add to that, right? Like as, as an officer and for young officers who are hoping to command in the future, right. Remember that like you can't bite the head off the person who's telling you that, right. Like, because that relationship works, right. Because I know that there's not going to be a backlash on me for saying that, right. Like you might not be happy with the news and right. right? It might be a tense conversation for a minute, but there's not going to be any repercussions for me. And, you know, just remind folks to, you know, be mindful of that. And that's for senior enlisted too. You know, I, I tell people all the time. Um, I actually tell all of the NCOs who I counsel and I counsel all the you know, director at NCOICs as well as the couple of NCOs who work directly for me. Uh, I tell them in their first counseling session and every future counseling session, the last question they have to answer and they can't leave until they answer it is what can I do better? Because a lot of people don't want, right? Like, cause people aren't just going to walk into my office. Some young private isn't going to walk into my office and say, Hey, sorry, major, I think you're really screwing this up, you know, but I need to know that, right. I'm not, I'm not messing up because I want to mess up. So if I'm messing up, it's because I don't realize I am. And if no one's telling me, I'm not fixing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, for some, I, I asked the same question, and one thing I've learned, it's really important to have this conversation with yourself in your head before you ask the question, is am I truly asking for feedback right now, or am I just want, wanting to be validated for the work I'm doing? Because if you're not honest with yourself uh, before you ask that question, somebody does give you that feedback, you're not doing something right, the lens in which you receive that is completely different. <laughs> and uh, I, I've seen that go south with, with other people. And I've seen my own feelings get hurt because I wasn't ready for that true and honest feedback. I was just looking for validation. So I just, I want to add that as well. Yeah. I mean, none of us like negative feedback. So I do agree. You have to be ready. Right. And you know what? I, I read a lot. And so I'd love to tell you where I read this, but I don't remember. Right. But I, I read somewhere, like when someone gives you negative feedback, just say, thank you. Right. Like if you aren't sure what to say and you don't have a good reaction for it, just say thank you. That's another solid tip. I want to also ask while, while, while we're talking, you know, not only are you a, a successful, you know, senior enlisted leader uh, in the ranks, but you're also a woman who's come up as well in a, you know, in a very tough community. So what advice would you give to, to other women coming up and even even to men listening to this who are working alongside women right now? I mean, the first advice I would give anyone is we all bring something to the table, right? And so figure out what that is, like figure out what it is that you bring to the table, because not everybody is the fastest or the strongest or the smartest, right? But we all uniquely contribute to the mission. And then the other thing that I would say, you know, from my own experience, I mean, the military in general is obviously predominantly male, right? But particularly in the soft community, very small percentage of women. And it can be very easy to get a chip on your shoulder, right? And I would say that as a younger NCO, I I absolutely did at times, right? Like when someone would say something that I'm like, that is, that's stupid, right? Like you can't honestly believe that, right? 
that I would, you know, get very, I would immediately go on the offensive and I just felt like it was personal. And as I, one, just personally matured, but also, you know, as I got into different positions where I could look at things with a different perspective, I realized that sometimes people say ignorant things because they're ignorant and not in a bad way. Like I'm not insulting someone saying they're ignorant, but just that they honestly have never experienced what it's like from your perspective. Right. And so they're saying that because that's honestly from their perspective, that is the truth. And if you go on the offensive, then you initially, you immediately put someone on the defensive and no one ever learned from that conversation. Right. Like now you're just button heads and no one is taking in any new information. And so it, it can just if you accept that maybe someone just made this comment because from their perspective, that's how they see it. And you take a deep breath and don't react. Right. Control what you can control. That you can have an educational conversation. Right. You can explain your perspective and why that comment bothered you or why that comment actually isn't true from your perspective. Um, And I found that to be a lot more effective. For those listening, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of Kim Scott and kind of like the last two topics, like feedback and creating a work environment that, that people feel accepted and can bring themselves to the job. Uh, She's written two great books. The first one is radical candor. And then the second one is just work. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff you were talking about, Sergeant Major, I think Kim, Kim does a deep dive in that book as well uh, and, and hits on those topics and, and just kind of arms both bystanders, which she wants you to be upstanders, uh, as well as people who are, you know, the person who feels like they just heard something that, that was derogatory towards them or the person who may be doing it ignorantly themselves. She kind of lays out roles for each of those and, and gives people advice, so for those listening, and uh, I, I think it's a great book. Have, have you read that one? I have. I've read both of her books, and I, I'm also a huge fan. And Radical Candor is actually probably one of the top three books that I recommend to leaders because I think that giving critical feedback is something we all struggle with, right? Like no one wants to hurt someone's feelings. No one likes being told they're not doing something well. So, you know, I think Radical Candor probably one of the top books that I recommend to people. But I have read both of them and really appreciate the way that she goes about laying that out. Well, when we uh, we spoke a few weeks ago, it was just supposed to be a 5, 10, maybe 15-minute phone call. And we ended up, I think, talking for like an hour. During the course of the conversation, I realized that, that you're a huge reader too. And we just started nerding out on books. What books would you recommend to NCOs coming up you know, that are like, ah, you know, because I know some people are like reading as an officer, and some officers don't read either, matter of fact, but uh, they, they just don't think reading is, is part of, of their leader development program. What advice and what books would you recommend for those folks? So advice-wise, I, I tell everyone, you know, NCOs and officers, right? If you're not reading someone else's, you know, when you start competing for jobs, right, it comes down to who's done more personal you know, and professional development. And if you're not reading, you're going to lose out to the person who is. Books I recommend, like I said, I just, you know, mentioned uh, Radical Candor is one of my top ones. One I got from you, Juliet Funt, a minute to thank, especially at this level. I absolutely need that, right? And I actually, um, I bought a copy of it and I gave it to my executive assistant. 
and made him read it because I'm like, I need wedges in my day. And so amazingly, my calendar has gotten a whole heck of a lot better over the past two months uh, since he's read that book. So, oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's another one that I I definitely would recommend, you know, especially to people who are already in leadership positions and could use a little bit more time to think. Um, and then Simon Sinek, The Infinite Game is one that I love. And I, I know I love Simon Sinek and I know a lot of people really like leaders eat last in the military because, you know, it's kind of a military concept, but I like the infinite game, you know, and I think it's really applicable to the military because as military leaders, we PCS every two to three years. And so we can get really stuck on this, like, okay, what am I going to accomplish during my two years, right? What's going to go on my evaluation? But the things that really make a difference, you know, the the big things that change culture, that change organizations that, you know, are going to make us more effective 10 or 20 years from now, we're not going to accomplish those in two years, right? And so we need to be focused past our own time in an organization and looking at, like, what changes can I start that are going to last and make this organization successful over time? So I love that book and that's when I get to everyone. Man, my smile just went from ear to ear hearing you say that. I, I feel like I have a, a similar philosophy that, uh, that you know, we're going to be gone, but the people that we leave behind are the ones that are going to continue and not just like in that organization, but like in the military. So, uh, you know, in the, arm, in the army context, the lieutenants and the young NCOs are going to be the command sergeants, majors and the colonels and the generals down the road. So it's kind of like, what, what am I doing to invest in them that are going to set them up for success? Or how am I helping them learn more about themselves to determine if this is even the path they should be on, that they could be, you know, great citizens of the United States, um, you know, supporting our country and, and providing services to others in different ways. But yeah, like, can I help do that during my small window of time in which I'm in charge? I actually, uh, just this morning, we had the Veterans Day ceremony here uh, on Camp Humphreys. And, uh, you know, so I was there. And when we finished the ceremony, I was hijacked by the Boy Scout leader who asked if I would take a few minutes because the Boy Scouts had, uh, you know, for whatever one of their badges or rankings, they had to interview someone who was a leader in uh, civic service. And so I talked for like, I wound up being there for about 20 minutes being interrogated by Boy Scouts from the age of like, I mean, these young men and women, probably some of them were in second or third grade, you know, all the way up to some teenagers. And, you know, one of them asked me, what's the most important thing I do? And I told them what I'm doing right now is the most important thing I do, because someday I'm not going to be here and I need all of you to step up and take my place. That's powerful. <laughs> I have enjoyed this conversation so much, Sergeant Major, and I'm, I just, there's just so much, so much that you're talking about that like, I, I feel like we, we never, a lot of us learn the hard way in the military or much later on in our careers, the importance of taking care of ourselves, how to learn to, to navigate the workplace professionally, and then the importance of like being deliberate with our time. And just see the, I guess, our, our big mission of, of investing in the people around us who are going to be here a lot longer than we are. This has been an amazing conversation today. Thanks. Yeah, I think uh, I learned most of it the hard way. 
Um, (laughs) And the reality is most people still are, right? And there's something to be said for that, right? That it is the experience that as leaders we bring to the table. But I think that sharing your experience to help put people on the right path is really what we're doing, right? They're still going to have to learn things the hard way, right? And they're still going to make mistakes and and the mistakes are going to make them better, but we can at least get them on the right path. Yeah. Yeah. And I can say, I, I know I can speak for both of us when I say that, like, we are still making mistakes. Daily. Yeah. <laughs> We're still constantly tripping up and skinning up our knees. But um, but yeah, I think the, the stuff that, that, you know, you found on your journey that you've been armed with and the stuff that I found on mine, uh, hopefully makes somebody else's journey a, a little less scarless um, while we still continue to, to bump our knees and, and skin our elbows. It's been a great conversation and it is the most important thing we do, right? I just feel as a leader, right, the impact you make is exponential, right? And you will probably never see most of it, but every individual that you touch, right, who goes out there and touches two more individuals who go out there and touch two more individuals, right? Like you think that the change you're making is very small because you're influencing one person, but you're not, you're influencing a generation. Wow. Yeah. And they- Quick story, and then we we can wrap this up. I was uh, I was reading a book about the Stoics, and you know Marcus Aurelius, when he was young, was given a copy of the the teaching, the Discourses of Epictetus, and so you know somebody gave him a book that set him on a path, and then he went on to write uh, meditations in his he went on to write in his journal and work through stuff, and then the fact that his journal has been read now by millions of people over you know, centuries that have been positively influenced from it, but it all, it all stemmed from a single person handing him a book when he was young and investing in him. And, uh, that just the multiplication of that is, is, is always something that I, I like to think about. Well, I will say journaling is one of the things I tried when I was going through all my issues and I struggle with writing. So that's one I still have to work on. I, I did not manage to keep that one up after my 30 days. So I'm now on year two of doing it. So I can, I can finally say I'm doing something that you're not. <laughs> I, that might be your thing then instead of meditation, right? Like maybe that's how you, you calm the traffic is by putting it on paper. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying. I still, I still want to meditate. I still want to, I still want to figure that one out. But yeah, the, the journaling has been amazing because for me, it's something about seeing my thoughts objectively on paper kind of help me to to calm down or to, uh, if I'm having a bad day, to be able to go back a week or a month or two weeks or a month and see that like things were a lot better. So like whatever I'm going through right now, it's just temporary that I'll, I'll be able to move past it. So I so many benefits uh, from journaling. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm still working on that one. I have a journal. I may, maybe get to it about once a week. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for our major for your time. I know you're extremely busy and, uh, we worked together for a little bit, but I've also watched you from afar on social media and uh, continue to be inspired by you. So if, if people are listening to this and, uh, and want to connect with you, uh, is, is there a way to do that? I am on social media, primarily on, uh, on LinkedIn and Facebook is, is where I post most things. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, but I, I haven't really figured those ones out yet. Not so good at that, but I am on LinkedIn and Facebook as CSM Joanne Nauman. And, you know, I would love to to hear from people and get their thoughts and hopefully continue to influence the next generation of leaders. 
All right, Sarah Major. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been awesome. And uh, like people heard on this, it's Veterans Day. So happy Veterans Day to you. And thank you for your service. Thanks. And happy Veterans Day to you. It's been a great conversation. And uh, I'll look for your reading list at the end of the month. <laughs> That's what I have to do today. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. You have added many books to my reading list. So I appreciate it. Thanks, Sarah Major. Thank you again for listening to another episode of From the Green Notebook podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us gain visibility and the opportunity to help more people on their leadership journey. Also, make sure you check out our website at www.fromthegreennotebook.com. There, you can listen to past episodes, read leadership articles written by military leaders from around the world. You can sign up for our monthly reading list email where you can learn about new books that are coming out. And our Sunday Reflection email that comes out every Sunday morning is really short. It's a two-minute read but I guarantee you it's going to start your week off on the right foot. Finally, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FTGN Notebook, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for From the Green Notebook. Again, thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. I am humbled by the opportunity to learn these lessons alongside you. So please join us next week for another episode of From the Green Notebook, where we're going to help you lead with the best version of yourself. I came from the mud. There's the